All right, well, good morning. Thank you guys for joining us, and thank you, Grace and Briar, for leading us in worship. Uh, that last song is one of my favorites, and it pretty much sums up everything that we're going to be talking about this morning. So um, we'll be referencing back to it. You'll hear it a couple of times, but uh, it really encaptures just what I want to talk about this morning. But first, I just want to extend my gratitude for all of you uh, just being here, taking time out of your weekend to be here. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, you know, back when I was younger and I had first gotten my license, my grandpa, he gave me his, his old truck. And it was this little, like, 1995 Chevy S10. Uh, it was a six-speed manual. It was a lot of fun. Um, my wife and I, when we started dating, we would take that little truck all over the place. Like, we would drive everywhere, all over Hendricks County, uh, and just find different places to go hang out. Uh, one of our favorite things to do was to take that truck and to go to a park or go somewhere in the evening and watch the sunset. And so we would get in the back and just watch it. And then eventually, after the sun sets, the stars come out, and they scatter across the night sky. And it's always just really breathtaking. Um, and it's reminded me recently of how we've moved out more towards the country. And it's crazy because I've started noticing the stars again. And it's not like they weren't at my old house. It's just, you know, the neighborhood lights and all, all the city lights and all that kind of stuff just kind of dimmed them out a little bit. But they are bright in our, in our, in our, uh, in our field now where we live. And on a pitch black kind of canvas in the night sky on a clear night, they're shining so brightly that you just can't help but gaze at them. Uh, you know, there was a meteor shower earlier this week. Did any of you uh, catch that? Um, it was pretty cool. Uh, just another showing of, of just how big the universe is, how big God is, and how small we really are. Um, you know, Psalm 147, verses 4 through 5, it says this about all of that. It says, He determines the number of stars. He gives names to all of them. Our Lord is great, vast in power, and his understanding is infinite. You know, all those stars that, that I see, and I can't even begin to count, he knows them all. He knows each one of them, and he uses them. Like he used them to point the wise men to the Savior. Right? He prophesies about this stuff in his word. In chapter uh, 9 of Isaiah, verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Now, obviously, there's so much to that one line, but even in the practical sense, that's how they physically found Jesus when he was born. In Matthew, the wise men, they came and they asked, Where is he who has, who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. And so the stars, they serve as a reminder to us that our Savior, that our Savior came to us. Now that may not be their purpose or he, even his intention with designing them and casting them into the sky, but I'd like to think that they should move us to a place of remembrance of him and to a place of worship like the wise men did when they saw Jesus' star. And so we're in the middle of this Advent series where we've been unpacking the different names that were given to Jesus in the prophecy recorded in Isaiah chapter 9. And so Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says this, it says, for a child will be born to us or born for us, a son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So today we're covering that second name that was given. 
mighty God. And so before we kind of dive into this, I want to invite Jared up, Jared Casper. He's going to read our passage for us this morning. We're going to be looking at Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It's on page 1043 in the seat back Bible. So you can grab one of those if you don't have a copy of the scriptures. And if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Morning, Jared. Good morning. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Thank you, Jared. You guys can have a seat. So before we unpack our text this morning, let's pray and commit this service uh, to the Lord again, and then we'll, we'll dive in together. Father God, we commit this service to you. We're just grateful, Lord, for um, just the time that we have um, already spent together, Lord, in, in worship and in singing your praises. God, you're worthy of all of it. And so I pray now that you'd help us um, to just uh, be ready to receive from your word this morning. Would you teach us from it? So we want to submit ourselves to uh, your authority this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So in thinking of the name Mighty God, I was drawn to this passage I mean, really, what better passage is there to kind of display the power and just kind of showing of who Jesus is? I think often we think of Jesus and we think of the sweet, loving, tender, gentle Jesus, which is true. He is those things, which is good. But this list shows us just how big of a deal he really is. I mean, everything belongs to him. Everything we know is his. It's all his. I mean, if you just go through that list, he is the image of the invisible God. He created everything both in heaven and on earth, the things that we see and the things that we can't see. He created the things that we can touch and the things that we can't touch. All of it was made by him and it's for him and it's for his glory. I love that it tells us he's before all things and still he holds all things together. He has first place in everything. And then we get to verse 19 where it tells us, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. The fullness of God the Father resides in Jesus. It's the same idea we get when God says, after the baptism of Jesus, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's what makes Jesus a mighty God. All the power of God the Father in the Son. So he's bigger than we can imagine. When you look at the stars and remember that he placed them in the expanse of the universe, that the farthest unknown parts of the universe are still just his footstool. He literally spoke them into creation, spoke them into being. This is what the writer of Psalm 148 is talking about when he says this. He says, hallelujah, praise the Lord from whom, or from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly armies. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. 
Praise him, highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He set them in position forever and ever, and he gave them an order that will never pass away. He told them, you're going to worship me, and they've been doing that ever since their creation. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the works of his hands. But it's not just the heavens that sing the praises and acknowledge his might. Psalm 150 verse 6 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. All of creation acknowledges the power and might of Jesus. It obeys his word. It recognizes his authority. Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves, and they obeyed. Jesus told the demons to flee, and they obeyed. When he speaks, it's truth. And behind his word, as gracious and as tender as it can be, there is a power that is terrifying. Don't forget who he is. He's God. So that makes me think like when I disagree with him, I'm wrong (laughs) because he's God and I'm not. There's a passage in Job where the Lord speaks about his power and his authority in response to being questioned and critiqued. And I'm going to read some of it for us. And it's a lot. There's a lot of verses that we're going to jump into. I'm not going to like unpack them. I just want us to hear how the Lord kind of talks about himself. It's pretty, uh, it's, it's pretty humbling. So we're going to read like verses 4 through 35 of Job chapter 38. So just buckle up for a little bit. We'll get through it. And then we'll talk some more. So starting in verse four, it says, this is what the Lord says. He says, where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and total darkness its blanket, when I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place, when I declared you may come this far, but no further, your proud waves stop here? Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or assigned the dawn its place so it may seize the edges of the earth and shake the wicked out of it? The earth is changed as clay is by a seal. Its hills stand out like the folds of a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked, and the arm raised in violence is broken. Have you traveled to the sources of the sea or walked in the depths of the ocean? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of the deep darkness? Have you comprehended the extent of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. Where's the road to the home of light? Do you know where darkness lives so you can lead it back to its border? Are you familiar with the paths to its home? Do you know you were already born? You have lived so long. Have you entered the place where the snow is stored? Or have you seen the storehouses of hail, which I hold in reserve for times of trouble, for the day of warfare and for battle? What road leads to the place where light is dispersed? Where the source, where the source, or where is the source of the east wind that spreads across the earth? 
who cuts a channel for the flooding rain or clears the way for lightning to bring rain on an uninhabited land, on a desert with no human life to satisfy the parched wasteland and cause the grass to sprout? Does the rain have a father? And who fathered the drops of dew? Whose womb did the ice come from? Who gave birth to the frost of heaven when the water becomes as hard as stone and the surface of the watery depths is frozen? Can you fasten the chains of the Pleiades or loosen the belt of Orion? Can you bring out the constellations in their season and lead the bear to her cubs? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you impose its authority on earth? Can you command the clouds so that a flood of water covers you? Can you send lightning bolts and they go? Do they report to you, here we are? And on and on and on and on, the Lord goes. We could just spend all our time reading God talk about himself like that. But it's pretty clear that he's God and I'm not. He's beyond us. Those questions are silly because of course we don't know those answers. The implication is heavy because he does. He created it. His ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. He alone is God. It's at his name, the name of Jesus, that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. And we will confess that he is Lord. He is our mighty God. And so he has all of that power, all this power at his disposal. And with all that power, one would think that he could just force all of us into submission, that he would just make us do what he wants. And while, yes, there is a day coming when we will all bow before him, he doesn't do that. Instead, he chooses to love us. And he chooses to allow us to love him back. He desires to be with us. Though he could pull a Thanos and snap us all away, he doesn't do that because he's good. He's gracious. His very nature is good and loving. And it's so clear when you look at his creation. And in thinking of that magnificence and the magnitude of our God in relation to us, I think of Psalm 8, verses 3 through 5, says this. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers the moon and the stars, which you set in place. What is a human being that you remember him? The son of man that you look after him. You made him a little less than God and crowned him with the glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. Genesis 1, 26 through 27 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and the livestock, the whole earth, the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And so God, being as big as he is and as powerful he is, he literally created everything that has ever been. And yet out of all of his creation, he chose to make us bear his image. He gave us authority to rule and reign. He calls us his prized possession. He gave to us what he gave to nothing else, his very own image, the image of the mighty God. So we are his image bearers. And while the heavens declare the glory of our mighty God, see what happens is his image bearers declare something else. It shouldn't be this way, but it is. Something evil and wicked 
the corruption of sin and the shadow of death that awaits. And so what we do is we declare with our lives and our attitudes that we don't really need him. Our rebellion and sin declare that we don't want him. And honestly, we would prefer to be without him at times. We make plans without him. We pursue fulfillment outside of him. We look for satisfaction and love in everyone and everything else besides him. A lot of times we don't even give him our leftovers, but we give him what's left of our leftovers. Sometimes we forget him. Yet we'll ask him, though, to bless us, to give us all that we want, when really all that we want are the things that would take his place anyways, but we still ask him for him. So when he doesn't give us those things, we, we throw a fit, we blame him, we abandon him. Sometimes we leave all together. I mean, some of us here this morning don't even believe. We see clearly the works of his hands. We acknowledge that there's something bigger than us, but we just refuse to submit to Jesus. We refuse to believe in him. And then some of us do believe, but we let it stay there. We let it stay right at belief. There's no, no dependence, no submission, no following. And then we justify our sinful attitudes and we couch our obsessions with things like success and with the pursuit of money as being a good steward or setting up my family for the future, which both of those things aren't bad things. But if they steal you away from your families and your pursuit of the Lord, then what is it doing outside of feeding a need for more and then discontentment? And then we'll say we don't have time to be with God. We don't have time to focus on our relationship with Jesus because there's simply more important things going on. We think, do I really need to invest in this relationship because what I really feel like I need to do is scroll on TikTok for three and a half hours. I'll do that instead. That will really fill the cup of my soul up and make me feel really good about myself. It definitely won't feed any sinful or insecure thoughts that you have definitely make, won't make you feel terrible afterwards. So we say, yep, give me the phone instead of Jesus. That's what I want to do tonight. So day after day, we choose things over him. His prized possession, his creation, telling him and telling their maker, no thanks, I'm good. I'll take a pass. While the rest of creation cries out in worship, all of creation sings his praises except for us. Yet he still pursues us. He desires our prayers and our worship over all of the others. Even regardless of that attitude, he still came and he lived and he suffered and he died to redeem what was lost. He truly is a mighty God. But make no mistakes. He is in no way obligated to us. We are not owed anything, but what, or what we are actually owed is what he went to the cross so that we wouldn't have to pay. Instead, he chose to come to us. His mighty, or he, he is a mighty God, and he used his power and his might to crush sin and death. Now, the Jews, when they heard the passage from Isaiah, they expected this, like, mighty warrior, Messiah, to come. One who would overthrow their oppressors. And really, that's what they got, but not in the way they expected. 
on Wednesday, uh, JR was teaching our youth group about this expectation and how they were wanting a king like David, a warrior to come and free them from tyranny of Rome. They had that in their mind. But what they didn't understand is that he came in a way that was better. He came in a way that was better. Jesus' plan wasn't for earthly freedom, but eternal freedom. He overthrew the power of sin and Satan. That was his plan all along. That's the prophecy that we get in Genesis 3. And Jesus, what he does is he, in the fullness of God and the power of God, crushed the serpent's head by way of the cross. And the God that we just spent the last 20 minutes or so talking about is the God that came for you and for me. He used all the power and authority of heaven to make a way for us. He wasn't worried or fearful of Satan. He knows that Satan has no power over him. And in the same way, he knows that the sin that is waging war in your life has no power over him either. He isn't scared of it. And what he wants for you is for you to be freed from it. And he's made that possible through him and his spirit. See, he came to his creation. He came to those who had rejected him and he died on a hill that he created and he was nailed to a tree that he created by a people that he created and gave his life so that we could find life in him. He and his power, he chose mercy and grace. Why? Because he is a mighty God. What can I do with all of this? Why is this important? How can this affect my life? Well, I think remembering just how strong and powerful he is should encourage us to run to him. It's a simple thing. Run to him. Bring everything before him. Invite him into the deepest parts of your life. Share with him the highs and the lows. Why would we not run to the author of life when life is hard? He created life. Certainly he has answers for it. Why would we run away from the only one who has the power to bring change? We'd be silly not to. Our God is mighty. His word has supreme power, and he can speak peace into your life, but you need to run to him, not from him. And so when you run to him, you, then you simply be with him. You spend time with him. Where do you feel the most, or where do you feel him the most? Where do you feel the closest to him? And then how long has it been since you've been in that place? What does being with Jesus really mean? What are you supposed to do after you run to him? Well, whatever you want. That's the point of relationship, is you spend time together doing things. You do all sorts of things with him. You can sit and you can listen. You can thank him for the good in your life. If you're having a hard time finding the good in your life, then give the bad to him, all of it. I think an important thing that you should do is be vulnerable with him. We don't like being vulnerable. The Bible talks about lifting up holy hands in prayer, or you'll read about being face down before the Lord. These are postures of vulnerability. And I can't remember if I shared this the last time I spoke or not, But just think about what it looks like when you're on guard or you're nervous or you're defensive or you're angry. What do you look like? Most of the time it's covered up. Make myself as small as possible. Protect my vitals, (laughs) right? And the opposite of that is open. 
vulnerability. Literally, like, I'm vulnerable. <laughs> we open ourselves up to the Lord. It's needed when you're coming to him. Sometimes it helps to physically open up. I'm not saying you have to do that. But that's why some of us lift our hands when we sing. It's not comfortable. But we open up with vulnerability to our Lord. I want to be as known and as vulnerable as possible before him. Again, not saying you have to do that, but it helps for some of us to connect the body to the spirit when we worship and when we interact with God. If you're like me and it's hard for you to focus, sometimes putting yourself in a posture that's more um, conducive for attentiveness and submissiveness is good. Putting yourself in a room that's quiet, getting rid of distractions. Sometimes I'll put in my noise-canceling headphones and just put nothing on. <laughs> and it'll just drown out everything. I mean, you do what you have to do, but you interact with God. Sometimes you just need to show up. You need to make an appointment with the Lord and you need to keep it. I was talking with Pastor Adam the other day. You guys remember Pastor Adam? You guys remember that guy? I was talking to him about this, about prayer. He's been on his own personal pursuit of just learning and, and diving into prayer. And he reminded me of this idea of just showing up. I loved it. How the point of prayer isn't just to have a spiritual high all the time, and it's not just to be lamenting all the time, but simply showing up and saying, I'm here. Here I am consistently. And that consistency from showing up constantly uh, will begin to build up a bond with your Savior. I mean, think about any relationship that you have. It takes time and consistency to build up, to bond with someone, to build a relationship if you constantly bail on your times with the Lord, then how are you supposed to build that thing up? How are you supposed to have a strong relationship with somebody that you keep bailing on? I know you do that to anybody else in this room. You're probably not going to be friends for very long, right? But he's gracious and he's patient with us. And the last thing I think we need to do while we're being with him, I think we need to worship him. I know that this time of year is tough and there's always a lot going on. And then there's so many people, there's so many people who have the name of Christ follower, Christ follower who only sing of Jesus when this season comes or when Easter comes. But we relegate our worship of Jesus to just a holiday tradition instead of giving him the honor that he's due. I mean, we're called to live lives of worship to our mighty God. You know, we sang that song, the last song, and then the, the bridge of that song, there are these, there's these lines, and it says, if the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. I love this last line. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. So the question that I want to leave us with is will you join with all creation, with the heavens and the angels in worship to your mighty God with your life? The only response this morning is a response of submission in worship to say, I am yours, Jesus. You are worthy of my praise and my life. If all of creation worships you, so will I.
So I want to give you some moments to spend with Jesus this morning in our time of response, just to to worship him, to confess things to him, to speak to him and to give him the honor and the praise that he's due, but we're not going to sing. I just want you to speak to him, to tell him with your words, to thank him for his provisions, for being a mighty God and for pouring himself out in order for you to know him. And then if you've never believed in Jesus, then do that today. Surrender your life to him, to your creator and your savior this morning. So spend a few moments doing that with him, and then I'll close us in prayer together.